Welcome to the Theology of the Buddy, a podcast for Catholics who love the beauty of the Church's sacred tradition. My name is Brooke, wife of Vin Diesel's body double, Mike Strauss. If you're looking to grow in the faith in new ways, looking to connect with other faithful Catholics, are in search of new spaghetti sauce recipes, or you're simply looking for other Catholic voices who are willing to speak the truth without compromise and who like to have fun in the process, you've come to the right place. We're not experts, especially Tim, but we have learned a lot over the 15 plus years we've been friends in the faith and we want to share that with you. So if you haven't yet, make sure you hit that subscribe button wherever you are listening and don't forget to drop by TheologyOfTheBuddy.com for all of our show notes and past episodes. Yes, yes, it's true. It's true. Mike is Ben Diesel's body double for the scenes where he has no muscles. <laughs> yes. oh, savage. Oh, man. I tried one... looking you up there, Mike. I tried. <laughs> that one scene where he's like emaciated from disease for like several years and <laughs> becomes super skinny. That's me. Wow. Oh boy. <laughs> it's Thanks, okay honey <laughs> <laughs> it's okay <laughs> i'm looking like i ate all the food vin diesel should eat anyway this podcast is starting off fast and furious <laughs> <laughs> we gotta keep it going for at least eight more episodes <laughs> eight more episodes Jeez, this is the chronicles of ridiculous <laughs> uh... <laughs> i don't think we told people who's all in the podcast tonight so we've got mike and brooke obviously tim and we've got our special guest and who's quickly becoming a mainstay in this podcast nicholas job of our ladies armory welcome back hello thanks for uh thanks for having me it's great to be here again quickly becoming a not so special guest just a regular mundane (laughs) run-of-the-mill just everyday routine ordinary plain old guest if your life depended on it, how many five-year-olds do you think that you could fend off at a time? Nobody's got weapons. Depended on it. Yeah, if your life depended on it, you've got voracious five-year-olds coming at you, and they're going to kill you. They're so you going to, to kill them off. They're going to try and kill weapons? you. Do they have weapons? Or how are they going can, to kill me? I don't know. They they're beat you to death with their little monkey paws. I don't know. But Are they no zombie weapons. five-year-olds? They ask so many no, questions. These are normal, like... like <laughs> Mrs. Parker's kindergarten class. How many do you think you could take at once before you get overwhelmed? Before I get overwhelmed? Yes. That's a great question. I think I could probably take 10. 10? I think I could. One swift kick. <laughs> Mike knows that I have strong legs because mm-hmm. he saw he saw me working out one time. One time. <laughs> and he the was one immediately and only, emasculated. The one and only time Chris worked out, I was there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He immediately was emasculated, and, and I and I vowed never to do that to anybody again. So, mm-hmm. thank you. Chris. I would say one swift kick, and I would at least take out five, uh, okay. and then another kick, and I could take out another five. Yeah. But after that, they're going to start piling it on and just. just well, if let, I mean, it depends. It depends on how how devastated they are with that first kick. No, I I, I hold to ten. I think I could do ten. What do you think? Tim? Your- what do you think I could take? You wouldn't take the opportunity. See, I was going to, I was going to, I was going to put you in the fifteen to twenty range. Okay, <laughs> but I think I think our difference is tactics here because, okay. like, I'm looking at it and I think I'm somewhere around twenty. So, like, you know, I'd probably do like a good leg sweep and take out a bunch of them to start with, and you know, have see if I can leave a bunch of them sitting there crying while I'm going after the others. Yes. So, <laughs> <this> is, <laughs> yes. 
but and you know i mean we've got significant reach on them too so we're gonna have a little bit of time before they overwhelm us so i'm thinking you know you know we're probably in like the 15 to 20 range yeah yeah i mean if they're if they're hitting with their monkey paws i i -hmm. think it would take at least if they're all coming at me at once it would probably be Mm -hmm. 20 that like it would take 20 of them to be hitting me for me to like fall over, you okay, know. Yeah. And once once you go to the ground, it's it's done. I mean, you're yeah. coming back from that because you can't get up after like with twenty five year olds on top of you. There's no way. Oh yeah, no. I mean, just <laughs> beating you to death with those little Velcro kids. Yeah. Am I exactly. on the right podcast right now? <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> Like I'm just thinking, how many chimpanzees could I take on? And the, the answer is maybe like one or two, because those things are like nasty. Yeah, say chimpan- <laughs> chimpanzees zero. are far lower. Oh, oh yeah, Ch- chimps can like rip people's faces off yeah, just their hands. Oh, they will. They will kill you. Like they yeah. have. They're vicious. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. Chimpanzees are not stopping for a nap and a, uh, and a peanut butter. It's not happening. I would just take all the. I would just tell the kids to sit down, or I'm taking dessert away. Like wow. I could take all of them Speaking out. No of problem. Tactics, your tactics were terrible. Yeah, and just get out the dad voice. And sit down like, or no <laughs> dessert. Like oh. keep it up, and I take sit your down switch or I'm away. Telling you the truth about the tooth fairy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All twenty of you want to lose your screen time tomorrow? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Oh, man, that would paralyze them. Here's my question. Wow, I'm top lost. two worst praise and worship songs. Okay, Tim. Oh man. So what is like my Jesus, my mighty, something like that? It's Lord, there is not none like you. Is that the one? That's it. <laughs> yep, that's the one. Yep, that one. And of course the old classic on Eagle's Wings. Ooh. Yeah. For the record, yeah. that's shout to the Lord. Yeah. Is that Only shout the, to the Lord? I guess saying praise and worship song that ever existed. Oh, uh, yeah. Next to Does, oceans, I think. Do, oh, my goodness. do I, boomer hymns count as praise and worship? Like is Hagenha's praise and worship? Because I, I don't think so. That's I mean, debatable. It, it could just I guess, be I guess you have to ask what they're worshiping. I mean, oh sorry. <laughs> 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 because if Hagenha's <laughs> is included, I'm no longer uh, picking Praise and worship songs. Hagenhaus is yeah. worse. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. If you went to like yeah. a Hillsong United or like a Bethel oh. type thing, or you went to a Life Teen like music night, like that's that would be praise and worship music. Okay, we'll let him get away with an Eagles. Shout, shout to the time. Lord. Okay, obviously is going to be on the list. Then probably pretty much anything Stephen Curtis Chapman ever put out. <laughs> oh man. My my wedding song was by Stephen Curtis Chapman. You watch it. Oh yeah, that's I'm right. so embarrassed for you. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> it was a good song. He still song cries when he hears it. <laughs> it was um. I'll be. Th- I'll I will be, be here. here. Yeah. That must have been good. after I checked out a Stephen Curtis Chapman. It's his moneymaker song for sure. I haven't heard any Stephen Curtis Chapman since I converted. Thank the Lord. Okay, so Mike's top two. Okay, so trading my sorrows is obvious. That's by far the worst ever. Oh, that's that a good one. The runner-up is more difficult. There's a few to choose from. Which which one is the one with the the big L hand signals? Yes, Lord. 
one. Trading my sorrows. Oh yeah, that's trading my sorrows too. Okay, I can't do that one again. Can I? Yeah. Can I make it also my top two? <laughs> trading my sorrows and trading my sorrows again. Okay. Yeah. So my number one was trading my sorrows, and I sang those freaking songs all the way from grade eight till I got married because that was like my only out from that choir. <laughs> and then, and then Days of Elijah is like a very close number two. Uh, it's not even a good song. Like if you look at it lyrically, it's just so cringy and the dance moves only made it like 10 times worse. And yeah, I just our, uh, hate them so much. Our parish where we grew up had so many hand motions with these songs. like yeah, And, and was, I did them too because I thought it was so cool and it was great and everybody was energized. And then the older I got, the more I was like, this sucks. <laughs> I hate it. Okay. So life teen story, the life teen group that I was in when I first converted the trading, my sorrows, somebody had taught the entire group, all the sign, like the ASL sign language for the entire song. Oh boy. Uh, Yeah. No, Chris, this is a very tough one for me. It would change. I think on a daily basis, it just depends on how I'm feeling because that's how praise and worship works today on November 9th, 2023, my two least favorite praise and worship songs are Shine Jesus Shine and maybe Sweet Wind. Because it always made me think of farts. (laughs) What? They named the song Sweet Wind. And Father loved that song. He was always playing. (laughs) I don't think I've ever heard this song before. You don't know Shine Jesus Shine? No, man. Um. Oh, gosh, I'm not going to sing it, but uh, yeah. Nick looks like he is so ready to give his answer. He's like been living for this moment. I'm the least ready to give my answer because I I don't know any. That's amazing. That's the best one. Okay, I I know the one that Mike was talking about with the hand motions and everything. I remember that one. Treating my sorrows, yeah. That's it. Like I... I, I I was never into that. I mean, okay, I take that back. All right. Confession time. When I was in college, I did go to a Rock with Jesus mass on a pretty regular basis with some friends. And there was this really jazzy setting for the mass. And I, I got into that. You know, I, I put it I put a hand up for some of it. <laughs> but as far as like the the extra liturgical praise and worship stuff, I never got into that. So mm. I wouldn't I wouldn't even know what the songs are out there right. either today or five years ago or fifteen years ago. So I got nothing. My, my confession is like, I don't even hate the song Oceans. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, I don't What? That yeah. song is so overdone. Well, see, I don't listen to a lot of r- the radio, so I don't really hear it unless I choose to hear it. But yeah, I don't, I don't mind it. Okay, lie. now lightning round, best praise and worship song. Santa <laughs> <laughs> Marigo. Oh, I'm ready That's for that answer. That's not praise and worship. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, you made a... Made a very valuable point. Mike, you don't get you don't get away with not answering the question. You have to have a second choice. You can't just do trading my sorrows twice. How about go make a difference? Oh, that yes. one is so bad. Oh, thank you. That is so oh. terrible. Oh, man. Bringing okay, that that one, that one sucks really bad. Okay. Yeah, that, that one's horrible. Shout out to oh. Steve Angrisano. What a great oh. guy. I, I hate that song. 
Because I remember when we first hit. Oh to, my goodness! It was first introduced, and I was just like, "Man, it's like the music just keeps getting worse. Like the trajectory in which we're going is just like I don't know, not good, not good." When we were on net, well, sorry, when I was on net, because um, we were not all on net. Um, when I was on net, there was a there was a rule that you couldn't make fun of praise and worship songs because every day you would and we spent basically an hour singing praise and worship songs and so every day um, yeah exactly (laughs) exactly but the the there was it was really funny because there was a guy on our year his name was mike king and i mike's mike's heard this story i think but they had to get rid of the song you are my king because everybody would be singing you are my king (laughs) i get i get serious weird out vibes when i hear we did praise and worship for an hour every day that's just me that's just me i just just kind of it's not like an hour of adoration or just an hour of prayer it's like no an hour of praise and worship i'm sure there was prayer in there somewhere but when I hear just an hour straight praise and worship, I'm like, man, that's yeah, got like, to do but things to was, people. <laughs> it's not what you're used to. It's not. It's not the kind of praise and worship you're used to. Like it was you. way more kind of charismatic. Right. So there was a okay. lot more quote unquote free praise. There was a lot of like intercessory prayer and like okay, reading and stuff throughout it. It was a okay. lot more. It just wasn't like okay, we're getting done the song and then okay, flip the page and you know it was okay. Okay. It was, I believe there was probably definitely some fruit that probably came from it, but in my brain, was, all I can think of is fruity for sure. There were it was a lot definitely of fruits there. Yeah. <laughs> I've literally Mike spent years m- mouthing the words to "Oh Christmas Tree" while everybody's singing a lot of these songs. <laughs> <laughs> Good times, guys. Tim's feeling this conversation. It's taking him back into his uh, his Protestant days. Yeah, Protestant days and Life Teen days. And, and it's just like we used to joke about all the crazy stuff in Life Teen. Like, you know, the, like there literally has to be a Life Teen crack stash. And yeah. <laughs> and Wait, Nick Job's eyebrows just shot up. <laughs> Man, I missed no, it. Like, we team. even recognize, like, inside the paradigm, like, this, some of this stuff is just out there. What are we doing? Oh, don't even get me started. That's a whole other podcast. Put it on the schedule. On the opposite side of the spectrum, you've got, like, oh, we have this tour of St. Jude's arm traveling yes. around the world. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, so I don't know. My point, I guess, is just that when you're in something, there's all this crazy stuff that everybody in the outside is like, you do what? And you're like, yeah. oh yeah, we're going to go see St. Jude's arm. It's so cool. Do you want to come? You know what? That's kind of like, like, what? <laughs> that's kind of like just being in a family in it. It's just like, yeah. wait, what are you going to do today? Oh yeah. We're going to just, you know, eat breakfast sandwiches like all day. And people would be like, oh, that's not healthy. And we're just like, no, no, no. You don't understand until you've been there. And we do praise and worship for Five hours straight. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh. I've been there, done that too. Oh, man. Speaking of Protestantism and uh, yeah, stuff like that, we were going to talk about, I don't know if you you guys have seen the recent conversations that are happening right now about Kat Von D. Mm -hmm. Did you? So she's a, if you're familiar with her, she's a famous tattoo artist, but she's been very well known for her 
involvement in the occult uh, in witchcraft. So she converted to Christianity and got baptized. And it's been a wild ride listening to her. It sounds like it's like a legit thing. She's gone into what appears to be some sort of mainline Baptist thing. But one of the things that really stuck out to me uh, was from an article in from Relevant Magazine. We'll share it in the show notes. And listen to this. This just blew my mind. This kind of stuff was definitely not on my 2023 bingo card. But here's from Kat Von D, former occultist, witchcraft, practitioner, whatever, witch. Uh, she says, quote, I'm seeking more traditionalism. I want to worship. I don't want to go to a concert. You know, we all dress nice when we go to church. That's our own personal thing, she said. This is a sacred space, and I feel like other outlets and stuff just didn't really align with what I'm looking for, you know? I feel like God spit me out on the doorsteps of the most perfect church for me, end quote. So, just kind of a wild, wild thing. The world, the flesh, and the devil can be quite appealing, but it can get old very quick. And... uh she herself is already seeing, even though she's obviously found her way into Protestantism, I don't think that's where she's, I pray that's not where she stays forever. She seems like she's going to be the kind of person that just keeps going and pushing in. She obviously has a desire for tradition. What do you guys think about that? Catholicism definitely fits the aesthetic a little bit better. Absolutely. I mentioned to the guys in the chat that like, I was actually one of those people that followed Kat Von D for quite a long time in terms of her like the art in terms of her tattoo stuff for a very brief moment in time probably back in late high school I had debated about becoming a tattoo artist and uh I remember what she was like on her Kat Von D LA Inc show and I even I think I even got some of her makeup because her makeup was like all the rage for all the punk scene emo kids in high school one thing I remember was like I think that she had like a Christian family growing up. I could be wrong, but like I feel like she had discussed it at some point. And, um, you know, she was just the the black sheep of the family and she just kind of went along with it. But I know she struggled with a lot of other things in her life too. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of wondering if, uh, yeah, it would be beautiful to see her, yeah, come to see traditional Catholicism for all its beauty because, uh, yeah, it's there. And it does seem like she has a, from that article that you had shared that she does have this desire for something that's authentic, which we've seen in the past recent years with people like Shia LaBeouf. And like, even who was it like Rob Schneider apparently converted to Catholicism, like recently as well. So it seems like there is this trend for like, people that are desperately searching for truth, beauty and goodness. And there are a few people that stumble into Catholicism and hopefully traditional Catholicism and uh, yeah, fall in love. You know what I mean? There was um there was also another article that was was shared and I I was listening to an interview that she did where she talked about it how when she announced her conversion she said that basically on her social media that quote the Christians were the worst essentially hmm. um it says uh here in this article we'll also share it uh in the show notes it says it was really just sad to see this critical display of judgment from Christians, and I don't understand what would inspire that, aside from something that's more more egoic 
because that isn't Christ-like, to judge people or judge people's journey. You would think that most Christians would be happy for you when you come to this point in your life, especially when you get baptized. Baptism is so beautiful, and it's such a big landmark in time, she continued. For me, at least, it was one of the most important days of my life. So, it's strange that these handful of negative, critical Christians would come at me in such a public way. That just broke my heart reading that. You know, because she also said that in her interview that she's been kind of working with her husband and kind of walking alongside of him Mm -hmm. and he's not where she is. And when he saw the treatment that she got from other Christians, he said to her, I don't want any part of that. Yeah. It was such a scandal to him. Mm-hmm. to see that obviously that didn't ter- deter her but yeah this is something that's been going on for a little while now because it's not like with catholicism where baptism is part of the initiation you know, that's something that happens down the line so she's been doing this for a good hot minute i mean there's not really a technical timeline with baptists when you get baptized but they kind of follow like the whole anabaptist adult baptism so i wonder how long she's been on that path yeah has it been a public thing because i really only heard about it with baptism yeah yeah i feel like that was when she went public with it for sure yeah she like got rid of all of her new age crap and witchcraft stuff and tarot and blah 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 she got rid of all of it and just like completely gave her life to christ and uh yeah and and she just got so much flack from people I had an interesting conversation with the priest, I don't know, a few weeks ago about our Latin mass community. And he was asking about how, essentially, what is the vibe of our Latin mass community? And I told him, like, come down and see, you know, come down to one of our coffee Sundays and and see what the vibe is like. Because, yeah, we're we're very open and welcoming. But I've heard in that same week about people who had experienced, you know, an unwelcoming atmosphere at their Latin mass and never went back. You know, it just really kind of convicted me and made me think, okay, especially as Catholics, you know, we really have to, I don't know, like, I don't know what your thoughts are, but like, we really have to make sure that we celebrate these kinds of things with people like, and not be so overly critical because it really does have, we don't really recognize the ripple effect that it can have, you know? Like, yeah, in Kat Von D's case, it didn't affect her in her decision, but it affected her husband, mm-hmm. you know? And I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? You're wrong. No, just kidding. You're right. Such a huge change. I mean, you're going from a religion that is absolutely antithetical to Christianity and, you know, living a lifestyle that just would absolutely scandalize a lot of more traditional minded Christians, whether they be Catholic or the mainline Protestants and such, to making that switch. And I wonder if it's just kind of getting lost in the reception that she's making this huge change and it's going to take time. I mean, the tattoos are not going to go away and they shouldn't, you know, and that's part of her journey. It's part of who she is. And tattoos usually you know, come with a certain amount of meaning. They're part of the story. You know, the life that she's lived is important because it's part of the story that she has. She's blacking out a lot of those tattoos, by the way. Like she'll probably be mostly blacked out except for, I think it was a couple portraits that she was going to keep, which is probably cheaper and less painful than uh, laser surgery. But I don't know. I've never had tattoo removal surgery. There's some occult ones or something like that. Yeah, I I can see the more occult ones being gone, but it's like the tattoos that I have, you know, I don't know that there's anything that I would give them up for. Like, there's nothing that would ask me to 
like, you know, I've got Narsal from Lord of the Rings on my wrist and it has to do with my PTSD and I've got the uh, St. Benedict's cross on my back. And that, that came from, you know, a time that, you know, I was really struggling and grasping for God. And so, so, you know, it's part of the story and I've gotten flack from Catholics for having the tattoos. And so, I mean, even that can be scandalous, even though like even the SSPX says, yeah, tattoos are fine. Just don't get anything that's blasphemous. But, you know, I think though that, you know, maybe the Christians, that are giving her the static just don't realize that this is a process i mean you're learning to speak another language you're learning to live another life you're becoming a different person in a lot of ways and that takes time i mean it takes i i think i read an article somewhere that said that uh she she gave up witchcraft about a year or so before getting baptized so it's been a process that's been at least a year but probably a good bit longer than that that she's becoming disaffected and realizing like hey this is not the life that i want to live and you can't expect somebody to make that kind of radical change in a day without direct intervention of god i mean you literally have to have like a saul type moment where you get knocked off your ass and you know blinded by god to realize that i need to make this massive change and i'm going to do it right now otherwise it's a process and hopefully her community is giving her the grace for that process and hopefully the larger christian community will start to yeah i was kind of thinking about thinking about saint paul too right like (laughs) the community the christian community was like dude you were just killing christians like yeah. Two minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> you and know, you, like now you're saying you fell I, off a I horse can't. and everything's okay now? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who was the who was the uh the Jewish atheist who was blaspheming our lady and then said that he would wear a uh, a miraculous medal and ended up being converted by it? I think it was uh Redisbone was the name. But yeah, no, I just I just found that that story very moving, but also convicting too. And uh yeah, so Pray for Kat Von D and uh, and her husband and her kids. Speaking of things that Baptists would consider necromancy, the memento <laughs> of the dead. I don't know if you guys know this, but back on our old blog we used to run called uh, Team Orthodoxy, we had this one. We had this one Baptist troll guy who would always come and leave comments about how we were Satanists and we were encouraging necromancy and well, doing necromancy whenever we prayed to the saints and stuff like that. He was a wild guy to talk to. Oh man. And he kept coming back. Yeah. He, he was like, always the guy didn't know how to chill. And sometimes we would reply to him and he would leave us these long rants. <laughs> it's amazing. Anyway, um, I'll read the, Memento, get us started here. Be mindful, O Lord, of thy servants and handmaids who have gone before us with the sign of faith and rest in the sleep of peace. To these, O Lord, and to all who rest in Christ, grant we beseech thee a place of refreshment, light, and peace. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. One thing that I read here from This is the Mass, quote, The fathers of the church had already given the reason, and it is St. Cyril of Jerusalem who tells us that we ought to pray for those in greatest need, just when our prayer is most efficacious. Yeah, I thought that was uh, very, it I just read- makes sense. Like, at like the highest moment of our of our prayer, we should be praying for those that need our prayers the most. I read that too, but I was kind of confused by it, to be honest. Oh, were you? <laughs> because, <laughs> well, I mean, in the Mass, we go from the commemor- commemoration of the dead, and then we pray for us sinners immediately after, right? Nobis coque peccatoribus. Mm-hmm. Um, Which the priest and, says out loud. 
Yeah. yeah. Because really, we are the ones who need the prayers most, aren't we? <laughs> mm-hmm. We haven't made it to purgatory yet. We could still go to hell. Yeah. So but pr- praying for those that are in... It would seem that yeah. <laughs> the church militant is more in need of prayers. So I was kind of confused by that statement from Fulton Sheen. Mm-hmm. But well, I, I there's the that. sense in which uh, our ability to pray is 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 broader, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. than the souls yeah. of those in purgatory, because yeah. we can pray for the souls in purgatory and we can pray for ourselves, Yeah, but the souls in purgatory cannot. Exactly. They can yeah. only pray for, for us, right? Right, yeah. Maybe that is what he meant. Yeah, I think that's what I mean, is they are souls mm-hmm. that are in great need because, yeah. They have no one else to pray for them. Yeah, it's just us. That's a good point. Yeah. They have kind of a... um similar memento that comes uh, right after the consecration in the um, Eastern Rite, Divine Liturgy of St. John Chrysostom. But it's interesting, they have this prayer where they, they offer the holy sacrifice for for the saints and Our Lady, which seems a bit weird. It seems like maybe it's in honor of them, not like for their benefit. But... Um, and also maybe it's the translation not being super accurate in English. I don't know. But then they have kind of the hymn to Our Lady. And then afterward, it's remember all those who have died in the hope of being raised up to everlasting life. And they mention the names just like in the Latin, right? As part of that too, right? With that invocation of the saints where obviously we're we're praying for, for us. Like it goes into a long list of saints where it kind of finishes off what was almost in a way started earlier with, you know, the, the first kind of batch of saints. And again, it just kind of points to the fact that we share a fellowship with them who are also standing there spiritually mm-hmm. present at the altar with us. And I might be wrong, but the, aren't these all martyrs in the, after the nobis coque peccatoribus? Most, if not all, of those saints in the Invocation of Saints are martyrs. One thing that I'm reading here and just pondering it right now, vouchsafe to grant some part in fellowship with thy holy apostles and martyrs. They're not all apostles, yeah. <laughs> but they might all be martyrs. <laughs> but I'm, There's I'm, Matthias in there, but most of them are not apostles. Yeah, but I'm just contemplating the idea of fellowship with martyrs, like meaning that we too are called to be martyrs. Maybe. <laughs> well, we can die to ourselves. Yeah, like like the Angelus Press Missile says, yet we should remember that when we beg for, quote, some part in fellowship with the apostles and martyrs, that we are accepting to share also in their labors, sufferings, and combats yeah. in their daily offertory. Yeah, that, that's part of the fellowship that we we should be seeking to endure and to endure it joyfully and with a grateful heart. Yeah, whether it's red martyrdom or white martyrdom, it's something we're all called to. Or both. <laughs> or <Yeah>. both. <laughs> it's like Alabama barbecue. Like you can have the barbecue sauce, but then you take the white sauce and you put it on the top. And it's really delicious. Don't cry, Chris. Or like Dude. a Cincinnati hot dog. And you could put on the, the red chili sauce or the, the white cheese and you could have both. Uh, it's got to right? be orange cheese, though. So do we want do we want to move to the doxology? Yeah, let's do it. There's actually some interesting history here. Okay, did you know 
that I'm going to have my dates wrong, but like the minor elevation that, that we see here, that used to be the only elevation. It wasn't until like the 1100s or something like that, where they added the, the elevation yes. uh, at the consecration because they were trying to increase reverence in the Eucharist because of heresies that were happening at the time. So the minor elevation was actually the only elevation that had happened for the longest time. Yeah. There's a per- particular heretic, Berengarius. Berengarius, yes. Yeah. Any of you guys heard of him? Should I have? <laughs> well, apparently he's uh, the inspiration for the elevation of uh, the Blessed Sacrament. So there you go. I thought that was interesting because, I mean, for us these days, when you see the elevation of the elevation of the consecrated host, the Eucharist, and the elevation of the the chalice. For us it's like a like a climactic moment, but back in the day it was just like this this little little elevation up from the altar. It's an offering kind of so that between the priest and God, like the priest is holding it up to just God. Do you know what I mean? Whereas with the elevation at the consecration, immediately there it's like for us to behold reverence to the Eucharist to our Lord. I mean, they're both also for our Lord, but yeah, but the, yeah, the minor one is kind of private with our Lord and the priest. Yes, we don't really see it <laughs> yeah. unless you're to the side or something. Yeah, I was going to jump onto Brooks' thought there about you know when we see the major elevations, we have a heretic to thank for it. <laughs> <laughs> so the words of the final doxology of the canon and minor elevation are through Christ our Lord, through whom, O Lord, thou dost create, hallow, quicken, and bless all these good things and give them to us through him and with him and in him. Be to thee, God, the Father Almighty, in the unity of the Holy Ghost, all honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. There's also some additional crosses that are done there as well. Right at the beginning, there's three, and those three crosses that are done over the host and the chalice represent Christ's threefold prayer upon the cross, one for his persecutors, Father, forgive them, the second for deliverance from death, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the third referring to his entrance into glory, Father, into thy hands, I commend my spirit. Oh, and then uh, the last, there's another three set of three crosses. The first three uh, signs of the cross signify the three hours during which Jesus Christ hung on the cross. And then the two subsequent crosses represent the separation of his soul from his body in death. I got another alternate meaning for the three crosses from Ooh. Monsignor Mormon's book. And he, he says that this comes from St. Thomas. I don't know where. So the part where it says create and there's no sign of the cross for create, and then there is a sign of the cross done for sanctify, quicken, bless. He says that St. Thomas commented that following man's creation, his sanctification, quickening, and blessing came from the cross of our Lord. And so those words were marked with the cross. That's neat. Is there an equivalent to the commemoration, you know, basically everything that we've talked about in the Novus Ordo? Germ, I I don't I don't go to the Novus Ordo really at all anymore. So like I have almost no memory. It strikes me that it is very similar, but like many things, a bit more abbreviated. Where Father Chicada in his book Work of Human Hands talks about only about eleven to fourteen percent of the traditional mass made it into the Novus Ordo. 
I think that this probably is one of the higher percentage of prayers that actually made it across the line there. So I've got the text if you want that. Yeah. So I'll go back and read uh, from, I'll read from the 62 missile to start. Remember also, O Lord, thy servants and handmaids who are gone before us with the sign of faith and rest in the sleep of peace. To these, O Lord, and to all that rest in Christ, grant we beseech thee a place of refreshing coolness, light, and peace through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. And then in Eucharistic Prayer 1 in the Novus Ordo, uh, there is a heading commemoration of the dead, so I'm starting at the right spot here. Remember, Lord, those who have died and have gone before us marked with the sign of faith, especially those for whom we now pray. May these and all who sleep in Christ find in your presence light, happiness, and peace through Christ our Lord. Amen. Right, so there's almost just like a private prayer that people would pray. Like we're able to, at that moment, pray for specific people ourselves. Whereas in the in the, in the in the 62, there's like spots where the priest can say very specific names. Is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, it's that, that spot for the priest to mention names is given explicitly in both. Okay. And then in... In the Novus Ordo text here, it says, the priest prays for them briefly with joined hands, then with hands extended, he continues, may these and all who sleep in Christ, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I remember, I, I'm not seeing it right in front of me here, but in the 62, there is the part about, you know, for something along the lines of, for those for whom they offer or they offer it for themselves, you know, basically the, the priest is praying on behalf of the people in attendance at that mass and the intentions that they bring. But since he's facing the altar and, and saying the prayers quietly, you know, it's, it's not really, um, you know, it's not an invitation for the people at that moment exactly like it might be, I suppose you could say, since the Novus Ordo is a more dialogical sort of text. Just to be clear, we're not saying that there's anything wrong for praying for people at that moment. <laughs> oh no 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 yeah yeah just that just that uh yeah in in the text here it clearly indicates that the priest pauses and prays for those names briefly and you know the people obviously at that moment are cognizant of that pause in the liturgy and mm -hmm. may feel motivated to at that exact moment offer their own prayers and intentions as well whereas in the old form they may not know when exactly that's happening in the mass anyway because they can't see or hear what's going on at the front i'm not 100 percent sure if this happens twice in the liturgy or only once but sometimes you might know because the altar boy the mc will step back for a second and then come back to the altar that's at the secret right no no okay. i know when, what you're talking uh, about though i just don't know no it's this part yeah, it's right? like there's a tradition where he would step back to not hear who the mass yeah. was being offered for. I see. Okay. I found that earlier part too. It's back in the commemoration of the living, which is before the several pages before. And it's, yeah. be mindful, O Lord, of thy servants and handmaids, okay, and of all yeah. here present, whose faith and devotion are known unto thee, for whom we offer or who offer up to thee this sacrifice of praise for themselves, their families and friends, for the redemption of their souls, for the health and well-being, the health and salvation they hope for, and so on. So there's the commemoration of the living before, and then there's a commemoration of the dead after. So this is the end of the canon, right? Yeah. And our next episode on the liturgy will be starting with the Paternoster. Mm-hmm. And preparation for communion. Yeah. Excellent. Beautiful. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, now, guys. Yeah. If we're doing the Our Father, are we going to all hold hands next time? Like, are we going to do it in person or... 
We all need to do the Oran's pose. Turn the screen right? here. <laughs> we dare to do it. Do we dare? Well, guys, I'm really thankful for you guys. I'm very thankful for this podcast. Look at me trying to, you know, celebrate Thanksgiving with the Americans. The only way I know how. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Happy Thanksgiving to the majority of our listeners. Happy belated Thanksgiving. Okay. To yours, to you and yours. Salutations. Fall within the octave of Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, seasons meetings. I was going to bring up the turkey adult, but that's okay. Oh, yeah. the turkey adult. Yeah, you didn't know. Are you Americans familiar with this? Have a turkey adult. All right, let me go find the article. So I first oh. heard about this um, several years ago, and uh, at the time I was like, "Oh, that's so cool! I'm totally leaning into that." Right. So the idea was that I guess at this point refrigeration was not super common yet or super affordable, and you know, owing to all the feasting that was done for Thanksgiving, the Pope granted an indult for Catholics the day after Thanksgiving uh, to be able to continue to eat their leftovers from their Thanksgiving meals, even though they they were, you know, eating meat on a Friday. And then maybe a year or two ago, I was like, wait a second, is this is this actually legit or did this happen? So I, I dug up the article again, I think just a week or two ago. I guess what actually happened was the Pope granted faculties to the American bishops for a five-year period to relax um, the rules of penance on that particular Friday or something to that effect if they wished. And then when that time period was up, he renewed it again for five years. They were allowed to relax penance on that Friday if they wish, but it, it wasn't like universal or anything. And then by the time that five-year period expired, what was it? Pinotamony had come out and all the regulations around fasting and abstinence on Fridays in the United States had been, you know, gutted essentially. So it was, it was superfluous. There was no need to, to renew that privilege again. So current day, you know, you technically don't have to do anything because Penance on Fridays in the United States is no longer obligatory based on a literal reading of how the, the, the law is applied here. You don't really have to do any penance at all on any Fridays except for Good Friday. But yeah, for those who uh, still observe the canon law of the church uh, that, that recommends that, that's what we try to figure out how to abide by that on Friday, the day after Thanksgiving here in the States is what do we what do we eat? Do we eat some of the leftovers? Do we try to avoid the turkey? Do we do we have like salmon bagels or you know some other kind of non-meat dish? So, what do you guys think? So, here's the weird thing though. The rules for penance in Canada are actually a little mm-hmm. stricter in that case, right? Because it's still expected that you make an alternate sacrifice if you do not do yeah, if you fast from meat, or sorry, if you still have meat, you are still expected to do some form of penance, right, Mike? Yep. Yep. The yeah. there are no uh, guidelines on what counts as an alternate penance, and they say it can even be an act of charity. So I've seen li- people literally be like, "Okay, I give five bucks to charity, so I can eat meat on Friday," or you know, uh, <laughs> but like, oh, man. so it's. 
it's slightly stricter in that you have to intentionally do something, but what you do can be almost anything. Maybe it's just locally, but I thought that that stipulation was in effect in the United States as well, where you have to substitute an alternate penance. Because I know, I know in Atlanta that that was something that was talked about a good bit. It's like, you, know, you don't have to abstain on Fridays, but you know, you're expected to do an alternate. So maybe that's just, is that something that's possibly left up to the locale as well? Well, this comes from the pastoral statement on penance and abstinence from the national conference of Catholic bishops, which is now the United States conference of Catholic bishops uh, issued November 18th, 1966. And uh, I'm skipping down to paragraph 24. Among the works of voluntary self-denial and personal penance, which we especially commend to our people for the future observance of Friday, even though we hereby terminate the traditional law of abstinence binding on a pain of sin as the sole prescribed means of observing, observing Friday, we give first place to abstinence from flesh meat. We do so in the hope that the Catholic community will ordinarily continue to abstain from meat by free choice as formerly we did in obedience to church law. And then in paragraph 25, every Catholic Christian understands that the fast and abstinence regulations admit of change, unlike the commandments and precepts of that unchanging divine moral law, which the church must today and always defend as immutable. This said, we emphasize that our people are henceforth free from the obligation traditionally binding under pain of sin in what pertains to Friday abstinence, except as noted above for Lent. We stress this so that no scrupulosity will enter into examinations of conscience, confessions, or personal decisions on this point. There's just, there's no encouragement that, that people, I mean, they say that it's like laudable or whatever. Right. So presumably it's, it's commendable and, and recommended that you still perform some act of penance on Friday. But in reality, they essentially just abolished it. So you don't have to do it at all. And when you don't have to do it, who's going to do it? Only the, the rad trans, right? Yes. Only the, the mad trans. trans. I was just going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of rad trads, this is just a friendly reminder that until next time, stay, stay rad trad. Stay traddy. Stay eating meat. Don't include that. <laughs> definitely, definitely include that. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. What are your thoughts on today's episode? We would love to hear from you guys. Message us on Facebook or DM us on Instagram at Theology of the Buddy. Find us on Twitter at Stay Traddy or email us at theologyofthebuddy at gmail.com. You can also send us a voicemail at theologyofthebuddy.com. If you like what you heard today, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts and rating and reviewing us if you're on iTunes. We greatly appreciate it as it helps us to get noticed within the larger podcast community. New episodes are released every other Monday. We'll save you a seat at the table.